Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcons. I'm a Falcon Screen, and we are joined by freelance writer and critic Rot Nehru. Hello, hello. And Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Yo. Now, welcome to our final Film Fight Club of the year. We're doing a bit of a loose show today. It's our year in review, talking about things that have been, things looking forward to, Disney's massive slew of announcements, because of course they have to one-up Warner Brothers, like they've tried to one-up every studio announcement, every studio film for the past year, and the take over our lives. Countdown. It's the end of the times, guys. Basically. Yeah, it, Disney have warned us that they're going to be releasing Star Wars uh, features and TV shows until, uh, well, until Star Wars technology may be a reality. Their plan to world domination are quite real. They have targeted to sign up 300 million subscribers. We'll get into this later. We will. For the moment, we want to talk about news of the week. The Revelation Film Festival is screening. I know some of it's online, but predominantly in Perth. The Veterans Film Festival screening online until the end of the month. Moonlight Cinema is happening in Sydney until April. Um, the Suns, sorry, the Westpac Open Air Cinemas is happening until February 24th in Sydney. Um, Static Vision are having a end of year bash at Pink Flamingo. Finally, an event in person. Well done, they deserved it. Over in Marrickville on December 18, Cinema Reborn. Um, have announced a couple of events at Miranda Grits on December 19th and 20th. So continuing in that oeuvre, that'll be the final one for the year. The Jewish International Film Festival is having events on December 20th and a screening of Fiddle on the Roof of All Days, December 25th. Um, the <laughs> no surprise, surprise. Um, the Japanese Film Festival is screening. And while we'll cover this in the new year, the Sydney Film Festival have a special series of screenings at the State Cinema, State Theatre, as well as the Wong Kar Wai Retrospective, which I know at least one member of this panel will be attending every session of. I know so Flickr Fest will be screening in Sydney come January 22nd, something you can book tickets to in the new year. So, uh, speaking of news, Disney Plus. Yeah, I, I'm I'm one of those people who get Disney Plus maybe for three months of a year. Got it when Hamilton happened. Got it when the Muppets happened. If there's something I want to watch, I'll get it for eight bucks and then watch some Simpsons and watch The Rocketeer and some other movies I like. So I don't have it all the time like I do Netflix or Stan. But um, And I'm going to wait till The Mandalorian is out in its entirety. So they'll get it for a month and just stream the whole thing. But I think Disney are looking to make themselves as essential. Disney Plus look to make themselves as essential as many people see Netflix. Well... They seem to be transitioning their... I mean, they've said as, as much that their main focus is now Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and looking at the numbers, I was just checking, they apparently have 87 million subscribers already since launch, which is not too bad considering Netflix have about 195, so they're not that far behind. Well, the the thing that holds Disney Plus back, I think, is that it's Disney, right? Like, it's, it's the biggest draw card, but it, it's also Disney is not an entertainment... For everyone, literally, brand like Netflix is trying to become. Well, they have announced that they're doing mature, mature age content. Notably, Disney have a lot of stuff people just sort of watch, but it's not a lot of. And some generalized content, but not too much. You look at Stan, and there's just stuff across the board. Same with Netflix, same to an extent with Amazon. Disney have a few markets, and they have those markets dominated, but it's not. Predominant. If you're looking for one streaming service, a lot of people in Australia are going to go with Netflix or Stan. Well, Many will and, barely and, go and with Disney. Disney owns other things like Hulu as well, which is probably doing the more mature age content like normal people was a big hit on Hulu. It this is, year. but it stops there from being the critical mass of support for Disney Plus, which yeah. is why uh, they're in markets where they don't have Hulu. Like Australia, they're going to add this star section, yeah, which we, is basically, yeah, it's going to basically going to feature all of their Fox 
films and TV. Yeah. Disney, and I'm thinking broadly here, it's family-friendly branding and it's something that, yes, gets a lot of people over to the team, but it also makes it exclusive to a lot of people who want not just mature age content, but content that can be a little more edgy or content that can be um, a little more out there. And yet, like the Marvel films, it fits with the oeuvre, and that can become interesting, but it, it can be generalized in, interesting, but it can also become very tiring quickly. We should clarify what, what we're talking about. Basically, all of uh, film Twitter and related circles have been doing a lot of hand-wringing since the Disney Plus Investor Day. But yeah, we should clarify the reason we're talking about this. There's been a lot of hand-wringing from the usual suspects on Twitter. Actually, pretty much um, all across my feed, every single person seemed to be chiming in with a hot take about how terrible Disney Plus is and how it's, it's destroying cinema and what a bad state pop culture is in. Um, I agree completely, but I still felt kind of alienated seeing this stuff because what, what Disney Plus announced was what I would expect Disney to do, just m more so. You know, it's what they've been serving up for the last decade, but they're just going more and more into brand overload. So basically they announced like uh, 10 MCU TV shows. A lot of Star Wars like, series. Yeah, like nine Star Wars TV shows. Yeah, a few movies, but it's mostly TV. Yeah, my my view on this is, from a macro perspective, like any other studio, a lot of it they get to release a lot of stuff. Some of it's going to be great, some of it's going to be terrible. I watch stuff that's good. I watch stuff that interests me. Having said that, if a lot of the airtime and a lot of the talent, I mean technical talent, is taken up by these behemoths, by these um, by these spaces, then it stratifies the industry in a way we thought we were moving away from. Yeah. Um, away from, we thought we were moving away from big $200 million films and small independent films to the return of a mid-budget feature. Something we talked about earlier this year. This is a step away from that. We think that's a bad thing. Uh, we like the mid-budget $10 to $30 million films. Because there's room for experimentation. Things don't have to be played quite so safe. Disney is so incredibly safe. They're ruthlessly safe in order to create become the, the massive entertainment giant they are now and you know by only using properties that have been shown to sell already um, and creating more and more and more of them than ever before they are trying to create an environment where people love these brands so much that they're all constantly immersed in them and that that is your main source of entertainment i mean there are two sides of the coin so let us clarify the fact that disney is investing at least 20 billion dollars by 2024 into original streaming content. Yeah, that is a good thing. Original, is it? That probably means like the Mandalorian. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Marvel, so that is the other side of the coin is to like what, what kind of content that ends up being is probably Again, the question. Content, I know content, it appears content, like content. content, but it's not content. It is art, it is material. But, but the fact is art. with Disney, it's it is content. Can, it, 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 I <laughs> Mandalorian is art, I will defend that show. Look, the, the thing is, um, this, this goes into debates about what art is, but the... It's impossible for me to see the new Chippendale whatever thing is like art. It's not impossible. There could be real genuine artistry put into it, but it's such a ruthlessly corporate goal. To me, you know, okay. it, it's more, the, of, yeah. an, it's more yeah. of an ad or brand extension. I, I think we, we've, never, we've never really explained our problem with Disney. I think this is a good time to elaborate on the issue we have well, yeah, it's with like this what we were template of filmmaking, it's right? Like if, it's like, a very packaged content where you don't have any room to experiment and actually showcase things. Disney are ruthless historically to basically follow a template. But and it, especially now, though, yeah. like stifling it's, it's creativity. Going, it's going into overload, right? Like... May, in the past, maybe you'd hope that Pixar would come out with something, you know, 
fresh, yeah. but they're making this light year thing. <laughs> okay, yeah, but before we get into that, we're gonna, have, we're gonna have some fun here. But, okay, my issue with it, and it comes down to this. Um, one of my formative films as a teenager was Pirates of the Caribbean. It's a film all my friends saw. It's it's a classic now. Ask yourself whether Disney, that the Disney that is now, would have taken the chance on the character of Jack Sparrow as portrayed by Johnny Depp 17 years ago. Um, a lot of the great, no, a lot of the great films that Disney have come out with are risks um the early animation certainly aladdin was a risk um the lion king to an extent milan was a risk the new one was not and you can tell in the nature of the quality now the counter arguments this naturally is that disney are making billions and millions of dollars and they can afford to do um a few risks and a few original properties in fairness the, uh, the frozen type films how i know they frozen- had no faith in frozen interestingly when it was in in production yes. because it's a it's something slightly different it's an anomaly in this but counter to that Disney is so focused on its brand. I don't see, I see endless versions of Frozen coming out. I don't necessarily see new things like the 90s Aladdin or Mulan or Jack Sparrow. It was a fight to get, uh, to have that performance in the film as it was. They wouldn't have overcome today. It's where things become too driven by just corporate directives for infinite growth and and increasing profits as opposed to there being the side of the business that has some respect for being, you know, responsible for what people put into their brains as entertainers and, and that there's a bit of an art form involved here as well. You know, you can, it, it's always going to be primarily a business, but you don't have to be so brutally against everything. That's I, I agree. I mean, the, the possible upside to this is, and this is just, you know, us thinking silver lining stuff is, Maybe someone like Don Bluth of today might come along and, you know... These people still come up through Disney today, but they don't really have many opportunities for expression. But that's the thing, you know, if you take that experience of working at Disney, understanding the corporate structure, maybe then break away and establish your own company, that's probably... It's pie-in-the-sky stuff. Yeah. And and also, Disney have always done these kind of executive, you know, um, corporate investor day shindig events but you know 15 years ago when they'd announced their slate of projects you'd be hearing about a bunch of original projects as well original tv shows original films this is all nostalgia this was like all brands there were basically three new films announced that i think weren't based on pre-existing properties out of an announcement of like it might have just been two out of like 20 something and i know it sounds like where the um, hopelessly romantic critics beating the dead horse of our original stuff has always been the greatest catalyst for creative freedom and also financial profit. Star Wars is a case in point. And you know what? For context, go back just 12 years and look at the risk that Marvel took on Iron Man and Hulk. Uh, Iron Man in particular, not a very well-known property. They put all their money behind these two films. Disney later profited from it because they did purchase the studio. But None of the MCU and its tens of billions of dollars in revenue would have happened if that risk had not been taken on a star who was considered major, very washed up now as now the most highest paid actor in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we, we hope that there is room for experimentation. And case in point, uh, on oh. mining old properties, uh, yeah, Toy Story, another formative film for us. Yeah. Okay, look, um, Pixar are doing a movie called Lightyear, which is as Chris Evans was quick to clarify on Twitter, not about the toy, Buzz Lightyear. It's the origin story of the real-life Space Ranger who the Buzz Lightyear toy 
is ba- uh, it was done. So um, the, what immediately jumps out to me here is, hold on, Buzz Lightyear was obviously a sci-fi comic booky, Star Wars-y, Flash Gordon-y character. He clearly was not in this world based on an astronaut, right? Because but also, I mean, this is the other thing, you know, we touch upon this, but this is the nefarious aspect of it. Even when you're trying to do original programming, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it is still, still based on brand. a nostalgic exactly. pre-existing brand property. Yeah, but what I was trying to say about Lightyear it's is... so absurd. Not yeah. nefarious, but yeah. It I is mean, so absurd. We, we will wait to see the film, but this is just ridiculous. No, I won't. I won't watch it. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to review it. I don't need Lightyear in my life, cool. except <laughs> for the comedy that it brings me talking about. Like that's basically the it. only Lightyear we need are the scientific ones. No, but look, okay, Is, isn't the whole point of Toy Story that it's set in your world and it's about what happens when you turn around? You know, the toys are actually secretly alive when you don't see them. That's the whole premise. The whole yeah. um, appeal is that it's. Yeah. A what if about our world? This is just adding now, stuff to the canon, but, which has got nothing to do with but, it. Yeah, but, you're right. but if it's now a world where there's space rangers in space, presumably fighting aliens, and there's also living toys, now it's just a fantasy world. It's right. not. No, it's no, not but I, I, I think it, it's not even as detailed as that. They're just using the pre existing property of Buzz Lightyear to tell this fictional biopic story. Of course, yeah. I, I know, That's I know. I'm just, but they just still wanted to like tie no to something respect. existing. Yeah. I, I, you're right, okay. but, that, but that aspect is so, so shameless that there's oh, no is. respect for the original property. Now, They're give, willing to walk all over it. Let's give it some context. The buy-in for the original Toy Story and the three subsequent films was, as has been said, um, when you turn around, toys can come alive. The only envelopment on the law in this entire series of four films was Forky and that anything can essentially be a toy. Okay, that's the buy-in, and that's the development of this universe. Now there's a sleep where the extent of the logic means that all these space, little green space aliens uh, who yeah, were they real? Minions, are they real? Are they just lost, uh, like District we, 9 We style? won't know till we see the film, but the fact that they call him a space ranger tells me that this is going to be sci-fi, right? Yeah, it, it changes. It also changes the nature of Buzz's story if it is canon, which is a shameless uh, attack on the very good Toy Story 2. I'm not my favorite in the series, but still an outstanding film. Yeah, suddenly Buzz, like, also how weird is it if there's a real guy being a space ranger, whatever that means in space, that there's also a toy that has a backstory that's complete nonsense? You you know what, Chris? I want everyone in Toy Story to get an origin story. I want Sid to get an origin story. I want Sid to get, like, an elf of a wicked style origin story where he's actually the good guy. We're being absurd right now, but, but somebody at Disney might be listening to this podcast and they might actually have an idea. Okay, if Will Poulter gets cast in a Sid origin story, I want like... That would be Sid. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, but there's an origin story. One of the Star Wars shows that is Star Wars um, Andor, I think his name, Riz Ahmed's character from Rogue One apparently is now worthy of his own show. Like, who's been like, yeah, I want, I really want to see the origin story of Riz Ahmed in, in Rogue fairness, One. In fairness, though, our argument against the Red Skywalker, and I still and we, I still very strongly stand by this, is that if they had made a Knights of the Old Republic, which they are, I believe, now, or something more broader, it makes the universe less small, it opens up, and it creates a sense of world building. This is better than um, narrowing it down to the Skywalker Palpatine legacy. But where, sure. where that, does it stop? Does every yeah. stormtrooper get its own origin story? Yeah, what, yeah, what, yeah. What, what, what is what is all like, these minor characters the getting point? their own series now? They were minor because they were insignificant in the original story to begin with. The fact that they have to have an origin story. 
means that you are just adding an after the fact. It was not part of the original conception to begin with. Basically, what it seems like to me is the old days of the Star Wars EU has now been transferred over to the filmic media. You know, you're going to have these billions of side stories and what ifs and everything. Like there even is a Marvel what if series coming. They're trying to leave no possible stone unturned with the property exploitation. Okay, going into like what what's actually wrong with this. You could listen to this and I guess rightfully say, okay, here's a bunch of snobs um, angry that people like what they don't like. But and we I are. Like and I do like a lot of, okay, I want to be clear on something. I like a lot of the Lucy stuff. I've watched every Marvel film. I find some of them good. I find some of them bad. I find some of them very passably, nominally, and lifelessly, yet lifelessly, still entertaining. That's the majority of them. But, and I just think we can do better if they can invest this much money we totally, in these resources. That's the thing. The, the Marvel thing has gotten so big, and, and people could say this is because it's the best, because if it's that popular, it has to be because it's that great, because that's the criteria popular things aren't on which it's being judged. But there, there's basically no room for other blockbusters these days. Marvel captures so much of the attention, so much of the, the media. Um, but the, not, Most people don't go into the movies that many times a year. But the problem is like... Four I mean, times a year, like a lot of people, you see four Marvel films. You, yeah. you, you see the upcoming slate and, and the characters, which after point... Because the thing is, we were all building up to Endgame, essentially. And now... It's basically restart. You push a restart button. Yeah, it's a TV a show. Reset. It's a TV show. They build up to the big event finale, and, and now, now it's, it's a new it's basically new the mid season kind of like bit, and now they're back for you, a full season. You know, now. this this feels like this feels like Skins, the the UK TV series, but How with, so? with different characters. Like you've seen the arc now play uh, yeah, out with yeah. one set of characters. Now, now, now you get to watch the arc happen same, again. Exactly the same arc happen again, but with different people. And, and you know what? I'd be okay with it to an extent, if they actually just didn't regurgitate the same old narratives. And even then I'd be okay with it. They didn't pretend that this one was different and this one was new, but they pretend everyone is different. But no, by design, even the good ones are, are such a tried formula. We, I, I, I think, yes, there's, there's a fair argument to an extent to be made that yes, uh, if, if people wanted something different, they should go stick it out. But, and we discussed this earlier in the year, that's negated to an extent by the fact that these, a lot of these cinemas and change in our position where they can only show to a great extent these films. That is a problem in and of itself. Well, Disney play hardball to actually try and squeeze out other films. They make it part of their contracts a lot of the time that you need to show this film in this many screens. So, you know, they, they yeah, push the, their the, weight the, around. The distributors are actually, you know, uh, squeezed out but and it, Disney have all the power because their stuff's the only thing people are interested in so this the cinemas really rely on them but you know what it means and this is the there's another terrible thing all these are based on great comics from our childhoods and from our parents childhoods from our grandparents childhoods and there's a law for Thor and there is not just that there's darker storylines in these comics but there are other storylines and they are not seeing the light of day in cinema or beyond a few comic realms because Disney, who own these properties and have uh, discretion over what comes to the cinema, are not willing to show them. I want to see um, alternate universes uh, involving Captain America and other characters. Captain America is one of those interesting characters in the Marvel, in the Marvel universe. You wouldn't really know it for watching the the films. That's not a dig at Chris Evans. I do like him. It's a dig at uh, the very narrow characterization of the figure. Okay. Getting back to what I was saying before about what is it we don't like about this, right? I feel like it's natural, um, it's normal 
to want to seek out different experiences to and when this it comes to entertainment to want to see different perspectives to want to follow different stories to want to immerse yourself in different worlds that maybe reflect on different aspects of human existence right um yeah marvel i think are trying to create an appetite or rather disney is because this is now being done with star wars as well where all you want to do is live in this world right because i like in some ways it, it seems kind of anti-human <laughs> morally or at least aesthetically irresponsible to be pumping out this much marvel content but also because, like is it a good idea to just completely immerse somebody in one one fictional world it's like also that, that's that like it's not it's going to be very hard to watch all this stuff but they are trying to create a fandom that does you know watch 12 different marvel series like is that i i maybe this sounds extreme but isn't that in some way kind of morally wrong i mean uh leaving aside the moral uh dilemma which i'm sure people who do business do not really feel as much but uh the, the problem uh, and this shouldn't be seen i i know yes your point is to make profit and to generate the economy and these jobs but um it it should not just be seen as a business to the, the I, I have yeah. a, i have a much more simpler dilemma which is the fact that i am fatigued by watching so much superhero well, content. Well, so am I. But I that's what why I was saying I feel like that is the normal response, but somehow we've created an environment where people, you know, a lot of people do say, "Oh, I'm a bit fatigued," but then just keep watching it. No, Because actually I I'm, I'm just a, I'm, Disney somehow just control the hype cycle so much that people just stay within that bubble. Uh I don't know. I'm I'm kind of moving away. I'm not But that yeah, but we're full critics. I'm not excited about any of it. But the fact right? is, no, you know, that there's no. still there's but still an obligation for us to cover about a some Marvel film since Civil War. Right. But that's the fair. thing. Uh we still do it because there's an obligation to watch and cover some I, of it. Though. I I've been saying this for a while. Less so. Yeah, I've been saying for a while I really am done with Marvel. Like I you know, there's not really any point on in future me expressing my opinions on the films like you know what you're going to hear from me yeah if if you yeah. If, if there's a genuinely an effort to diverge from this universe it may yeah. be or style it may be giving a director who hasn't had a go yet 10 million dollars and told make a lean as hell movie with a couple of really big name actors cool um or, if, pra- or yeah. practical effects you know what give them a challenge make a one of these films entirely with practical effects put in martial artists cool. Um, um set it in an uh, set it in one location set it in somewhere do, do something just a little bit out of the mm-hmm. do a bottle film do a comedy do a romance if they started do a tragedy yeah do, if they started do to body, take some risks but marvel i uh, i can't even imagine what that is but <laughs> if they started to take some risks i would revise my statement it's just that you don't need to hear what i have to say because the films are always the same. Yeah, and and they always they're going to make money anyway. They we're not adding to any kind yeah. of cultural discourse. But you actually. know, I I hate how it's it uh because it was such a common criticism, Marvel fans tried to make it a taboo to say that all the films are the same. So they say, "No, no, no it's you know, The Winter Soldier is actually a spy thriller." It's, it's like one of the worst ones. Uh talking about spy thrillers. But but, thriller, but, it's, but it's, The Winter it's, Soldier yeah. is like It's a Marvel superhero movie. It ends with a big exploding thing falling out of the sky. Just because just you've got Robert Redford and like a few allusions to 70s movies doesn't make it a political thriller. I, I, I'm, I'm sure Redford I'm sure it's not making an allusion to all the president's men or sneakers 
or The Sting mm. or any or, or Spy Game or any other of the many better films he's done. And, and, that, so and doesn't I'm elevate sh- it to the level of those. Totally. Films. And I'm sure he was on autopilot that entire movie. He did not care. He was. And I'm sure the Still, he was the best thing about it. Uh, the best one of our best spy writers of all time who passed away tragically this week would yeah. take offense to Winter Soldier being called a spy yeah, narrative. I, well, compare something wrote spy novels. Like, yeah, compare something Ligare would write to Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy right, to, right, to yeah. Winter Soldier. To the, yeah, exactly. We need a really good adaptation. We're changing exactly your We need a really good adaptation to Spy came in for the cold it's oh, yes. actually been done yeah. exceptionally well the 70s Alec Guinness version of Tinker Tailor is great and the Tailor of Panama wasn't bad what did you think of um, the Tinker Tailor from 10 years ago not good I agree and everyone loved it at the time okay it's just rehashing it, it boils down more interesting material that was better covered both in the novel and in the Guinness version um, Oldman was at the beginning of his autopilot mode and it was just in amidst a glut of Cold War thrills which doesn't make it boring in and of itself but it just followed those stylings to a T, and it just was unnecessary. Imitation it, Game came out around the same time, right? Imitation Game was three years later, yeah. but also very bad. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was horrible. And, uh, but that, that was more the biopic. Um, oh. it had Classic that, Harvey Euro- Weinstein Oscar movie. Eurogenia, had the Eurogenius moment. In the, oh, God. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, that was the Benedict Cumberbatch is playing a genius again kind of mode. Oh, he's an eccentric genius. Wait till you see what his quirks are going to do. And you know what? The more interesting elements of that story about Alan Turing, which um, obviously more contentious, they covered in passing in a few minutes at the very end. Um, Actually, Britain apologized for their treatment of Turing and thousands of others who were subjected to that. Make a movie about that. God. Anyway, so we're we're, we're ranting about a five or six-year-old bad movie. Maybe maybe The Crown might cover that eventually in season 10 or something. What are some Um, of the other films? And they hope they'll do season 10. What are some of the other films that still inspire hate in you years later? That just suddenly the rant comes out when it's mentioned. Oh, who did it? Maggie Mae Flash did a great video on Sucker Punch last week, and that's, I, I always cite that as one of my least favorite films of all time. It's so pretty that, terrible, and it's it's also it's, in fairness the title is a warning. It's such a terrible idea, though. Like, yeah, we're going to show the plight of abused women through Xbox scenarios with Terminators and Dragons. And very gratuitous camera work. Right, right. And, but yeah, oh, this is what it's God. like inside the mind of women who are being mistreated. You know, I am a, like, Nazi-killing zombie slayer did with you, a katana. You know, that's you, definitely not just, like, a 13-year-old nerd's fantasy. That's definitely what these girls are imagining. Did you see Guns Akimbo? This oh, it's so terrible. Yeah. I saw it, yeah. Yeah. That was Akimbo a, was the um, the Daniel Radcliffe yeah, now yeah. suddenly has gun staple to his hand. We hands. reviewed it. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah so yes, we have it's seen been it. that kind of a year. It, it just felt like twenty twenty. Uh, this is the one where the director, um, where they couldn't promote it because the director um, reportedly made some very uh, negative comments on Twitter. Yes, that's right. Uh, which yeah, that's something you can see one of our earlier shows. Um, if you are going to watch that, I'd recommend watching it as I did on a Saturday night after quite a few beers, not like Chris did, very sober. I was actually trying to make a best of 2020 list, uh, trying to basically place movies, and it was very difficult to this year. It was because it kind of feels like 2020 has been like a year of two or three halves. You know, you don't remember what happened from January to March before COVID hit, and then. And there also weren't many new releases. Yeah. Yeah. My, my favourite of the year, look, Invisible Man, Kajillionaire. Um, just to give it a shout out, Sea Fever, we covered during the Sydney Film Festival, the Irish film. It was, fun. It was great. Yeah. Um, Invisible Man, Kajillionaire, On the Rocks, um, yeah, The on Assistant. The the assi- oh, yeah, actually, yeah, well, they would, I'm just ticking off things like, uh, did you see my list? Yeah, yeah, cool. uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> I'm just naming the, one, the ones I really liked. Um, 
Uncut Gems, far and away, Uncut would Gems. be considered oh, yeah. the best. Wait, was it, it was January, that in this year? Australian release okay. was this year. We so if it counts, we covered it last year, though. We, so we, we can do we a covered it in January, best. actually. Yeah. We did. Yeah. We, uh, we do a cut probably best of in the new year. Like year. Um, once yeah. we've seen, we're seeing Wonder Woman next week. We'll promise to cover that in the new and, year. And uh, Promising Young Woman apparently is getting yes. good reviews. Oh, yeah. oh, so just quickly, Blythe Spirits in cinemas on Boxing Day. It's a perfectly serviceable British film, which uh, Dan Stevens does well, which has some funny bits, which actually gets the dynamics of losing a partner in a, within a midst of the comedy quite spot on. Um, it's entertaining. It's the sort of thing that um, will be played at Palace Cinemas for a few weeks. If you're in, if, if watching a Dan Stevens, Judy Dench film where they're quite flippant, sounds like your cup of tea, then you should go see it in the afternoon at Palace Cinemas with a cup of tea. Talking about British films, uh, The Nest starring Jude Law is definitely worth your time. I would From a it. actually great American indie director. Who yeah, it's, it's, it would be in my best of 2020. It's actually very surprising. It's probably one of the most surprising ones. I'm keen to see it. Uh, his previous film, Martha Marcy May Marlene, was one of the best of its year and I think underseen, actually. And yeah, and King of Staten Island has grown on me with time. Uh, that's not going to be in my top ten. No, yeah, that'd be a sad year if it corrected on awkward um, scripting in there. I I, I picked that over Kajillionaire. I was surprised. So we've only got a minute left, but look, we want to thank you for listening for our film Fight Club for another year. We'll be back next year. Let us know what you want us to fight about. We look forward to more films being released, uh, more diversity in films. Uh, we've had a fun time, and while we've seen had most of this year over Zoom, it's nice to finish it just together around the table and. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 fun to talk about and just you know, come back to full circle and say how oh, we hate Disney again. It's it's, it's almost like you yeah. know, it's 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 nice to come back to a familiar place and end where we you know we're all comfortable. <laughs> Something's never changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, have a wonderful night. Have a wonderful New Year and Christmas and holidays and all. This has been Glenn Found, San Chris Evans of Nehru. Stay safe. Signing off for another year. Enjoy movies. Happy holidays. Good night. You're my favorite customer. <laughs> <laughs>